casual or natural. Hi guys, uh, welcome to another edition of Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to talk to interesting people from different backgrounds, uh, get to learn about other cultures, uh, interact with other cultures, and kind of like build that bridge between cultures. Uh, my name is Nosayari, and welcome to another episode. Uh, today I have yet another guest. Uh, welcome, Adora. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day in D.C. Exactly. Beautiful. I mean, every day in D.C. is always a beautiful day. It's, every day. It's not, the weather here can never get as nice as the West Coast, but it's never as bad as, what, Denver or New York or something, or Chicago or something. The winters are kind of cold, <laughs> as I just came from San Diego. Oh, and yeah. I, I mean, yeah. compared to San Diego, and of course. Like, oh, but. no. <laughs> well, it's not as bad as uh, I don't know what's the coldest city you've you've been to or country you've been to. Germany. Well, Germany is pretty cold. I mean, in the winter time, it gets pretty cold. Interesting. Um, Minnesota is a state, but I've been there. I yeah, I hear coldest. Minnesota. I feel like is those pretty cold. two are the coldest ever. What are the states that people go to ski, like the mountains? Are those like Denver, Minnesota? I feel like it's Denver, Minnesota. You can ski on the east coast of Massanutten. Gotcha. <laughs> um, I skied in Garmisch in Germany. That was fantastic. Wait, you have, wait, we'll talk about Germany in a bit. Oh, yeah. Gold medal in skiing when I was a teenager. <laughs> wait, you won the gold medal in skiing? <laughs> well, like a little teeny bopper thing. <laughs> gotcha. But it was fun. So, yeah, I can ski. I'm pretty good at it. Okay, cool. Hopefully cool. soon I learn how to snowboard, but. I mean, is it? It's like, well, I guess it's fundamentally different, but mm-hmm. yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to talk about your name, Adora. Adora Luster. Yes. Um, do you know, like, how did you ever ask your parents why they gave you that name? Um, or, I don't know, it's, you know, it's you so, know, like, the origins of the name? Everyone asks me this. Everywhere I go, whether they're in an Uber, a Lyft, if I'm walking, mm-hmm. and I say, like, hi, and introduce myself. They're like, oh, who named you? Where... Where is your name from? What's the origin? And it's so interesting. It's nothing too deep. <laughs> okay. So my sister named me. Really? She did. My parents, how how old? Um, my sister is ten years older than me. Okay. So she is older. I'm the first child all over again. If you look at it. Gotcha. But her favorite cartoon growing up was Shira the Warrior Princess. And Shira's real name is Adora. Mm. So she named me Adora. <laughs> gotcha. Interesting. Like your sister naming you, that's that's uh, something different. Yes. Uh, so I'm from Africa, right? I'm from Nigeria. And mm-hmm. usually it's a fight between the parents and the grandparents to name <laughs> their kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, just having a sibling name you, that's something pretty interesting. Yes. I have an interesting name for my brother for all the fights we had. I'll probably give him... <laughs> If I had the opportunity to name him, but anyway, I'm just kidding. I'm no, just kidding. my sister loved me. She took me everywhere, and she was so proud. She's like, Adora, Adora. Um, love that she was able to name me. My parents gave my middle name, Therese, so I am Adora Therese Luster. Gotcha. Adora mm-hmm. Therese. Adora Therese Luster. Gotcha. But I've heard from many different, um, from many different people of many different backgrounds. The meaning of my name and I said that's so interesting tell me more yeah it's actually funny because um so I'm from Nigeria right mm-hmm. and in southeastern Nigeria you have a name that's kind of similar but it's called Adaora so yours is just Adora A-D-O-R-A yeah but Adora is in southeastern Nigeria it's like A-D-A-O-R-A and Ada uh, from Eastern Nigeria means uh, the first daughter. Um, so technically, first daughter is called Ada. Then Adara is like daughter of the community, like everyone's girl, like girl next door, basically. Yeah. So daughter of the community. And now when I was looking up at your profile, I saw that you had a bunch of experiences with like event management, uh, mm-hmm. project planning, things like that. I'm like, huh. 
That's interesting. So your name kind of means daughter of the community in a different part of the world, and you're involved with all this stuff, planning, <laughs> like for the community and different community. organizations and different systems. Yes, yeah. I love doing that. I mean, this was the very first time you clicked because um, growing up, um, you know, you hear all the stories that oh, your name has a meaning. And, you know, what you end up being in life uh, is tied to what your name is. But up until today, and I know your name isn't exactly like Adara, like it's spelled where mm -hmm. we come from. But I just kind of like made that connection. Up. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Well, let's talk about growing up. Where exactly uh, did you grow up? So I grew up everywhere. Yeah. My dad was military, mm. army. He retired full colonel of the White House Communications Agency here in D.C. Oh, wow. So I lived back and forth from Germany. Wait, what, um, what's it called? Um, who was present uh, when your dad was... Uh... When my dad was with Waka? Yeah. Um, Bush, England. Oh, okay. Bush, Jr. Bush Jr. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Is he, is he junior? I'm here to take that out. <laughs> is he junior? Yeah, because senior, junior. George, George, that's like 2000 and what? Mm -hmm. That's like 2000 to 2008? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, so yeah. Clinton and GW, sure enough, he absolutely excelled, loved it, he knew. He started off as a Science teacher, went to the military. My mom was also in the military at the time. And my mom, my mom got out. And then they had my, got married, had my sister, had me. What branch of the military? Army. Gotcha. Army. Army all the way. Gotcha. And so I loved it. I grew up in Krishnak, Mannheim, Frankfurt, Ramstein, Stuttgart. And out, Frankfurt. Damn. <laughs> That's like major cities in Germany. Major cities in Germany. It's two, two years each. Uh, basically, it was two years Germany, two years back in the States, two years Germany back, back and forth. Gotcha. I, uh, I went to school in a Dodd school, a DOT school. And so it was. Wait, Dodd school was at the Department of Defense? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Well, I mean, it's gonna be, but I mean, this is not like a professional interview, right? It's just we're just trying to get to know you better. So you were like two years in Germany, two years in the mm -hmm. States, two years back and forth, and that was up until you were how old? I was up until middle school. Gotcha. And so towards the end of middle school, came here, and then I went through high school at Osborne Park Senior High School in Manassas, and then went to. Undergrad at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, which is an HBCU. Oh, it is? Mm -hmm. It is. It's an historically black college and university. I mean, you, you literally, so I just came off an interview that I had like yesterday, right, uh, with uh, my friend Walton, and she literally has the same story. Like, her, her dad was in the Army, she went to Morgan State. Uh, I think uh, at a point they were also stationed abroad, was it in Germany? Uh, but they got to travel uh, a mm -hmm. bit uh, since their dad was in the army. So uh, it's just interesting to see like two entirely different people who know. Oh, do you happen to know Walton by I any chance? Not. Okay, but tend to have a similar story. Uh, but how was growing up in Germany? I mean, was your school, did they teach in English? Uh, they did. Okay, but you got to interact with German. Did you get to learn German? The school taught in English, and it was mandatory that we took German classes. Mm -hmm. I do not speak German fluently now. When I came back to the States, I lost it. But it was interesting growing up when I looked at kind of like the dichotomy I faced in Germany versus when I moved. My family and I moved back to the States and didn't have to go back. A lot of the times I had my first experience with like, racism in Germany, and those girls were very mean to me because of the color of my skin. And so I, you went to an all-girls school? No. So there's the other, just other people in the community. So this was even affiliated in school. Gotcha. But let's say we were out and about or going to eat or just roaming around the country for fun. I, I experienced where one time I was just sitting there, my mom was getting food, and some girls came and and they threw like towels at me. 
saying to wipe my darkness off. In public? In public. In public. Um, saying that I was just ugly and my skin is just so dark and they don't know why. They call me coal miner's daughter. So many really harsh things that I never experienced. And didn't wait, know wait, why wait. And you happening. were, this was before middle school, so you were pretty young. I was pretty young. And they were young also. And they were young also. And so it really just understands how young biases start in people's minds and how they really grow up into it. Do, does it really start or their influence? I, I like to believe like racism is acquired and taught in a way because if you put a bunch of kids, like regardless of their color, and they grow up together, they don't necessarily know, mm-hmm. um, you know, they obviously they'll know that in different shades, whatever, but maybe they were influenced by, by their parents or by, by like the media or by like the society. Well, yeah, so things like, like that. I think it starts it starts young, so whatever they're around, whoever they're being influenced by, yeah. taught. I mean, kids are very impressionable. Pick up right? on it. So even if they hear something or see something, they got it from somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to assume where, but all I know is it definitely affected me. It was definitely hurtful. I went home crying, and my mom really didn't know why. My parents were really super impactful then. They sat me down. They put me in front of a mirror. They said how beautiful I am, which they always told me. But this time, they did it, like, in, like, intended. People are going to be hurtful. It means, like, you need to be strong within yourself. And so when they sat me down in front of the mirror, they told me absolutely everything beautiful about me. I just started smiling. Like, <laughs> It's great because I have had really strong, amazing parents, both father and mother. They are my rock. I love them both dearly. They're really great parents. A strong black man for a father and a strong black woman for a mother. Gotcha. So coming back to the U.S., um, you came back from middle school, um, undergrad, did you always want to go to a HBCU or is it just something you happen to apply and you know get in? So when I came back to the States, I got into volleyball. Okay. I played volleyball and I loved it. I played volleyball in high school. I was, technically, I started a little bit late because I started in ninth grade. And I just had a huge growth spurt. Put a ball in my hand, tried basketball, didn't work for me. Like, this is so much running. <laughs> but when I put a volleyball in my hand, it just clicked. Clicked. And so took so much. I got to. I was picked to go to Australia and New Zealand and represent the U.S. and play volleyball wow. over there in high school, which I loved. And I came back and got recruited. So a couple of things I was being recruited by was University of Maryland Eastern Shore, Coppin, Morgan, James Madison. Coppin. Coppin. Okay. I would say it's another HBCU. Oh, okay. Um, some places in California, some places in Ohio, like Ohio University Bobcats. There were a lot of places getting recruited for, and so I was going on a lot of recruiting trips. And when I went to UBS, it was Alex Timken who had recruited me then. He was a head coach. And I was just sold. It was close to home, about three hours away, so not too far. The community was great. The girls on the team were great. It was a very international team. Mm. I think I was maybe, when I came in, there were two, only two other African Americans on the team. You'd be shocked with the HBCU, but there were people from um, Israel, uh, tons of Europeans, a girl from France, we had a girl from Croatia, um, Serbia, Montenegro, there's just it was such an eclectic group of mixing girls. We were fantastic and had a great squad. So I decided this is where I'm going to go. And is that's it? why I went there. Not specifically because it was an HBC, which was fantastic that it was, but mm-hmm. that is where I felt most at home and ready to get on the court and play and still work on my academics. Because when you think about it, that's your first job. You basically get yeah. paid. To represent the school. Yeah, and that—that's something that's always interested me. I think it's uh, what's it called, NCAA, the Collegiate yes. Athletic uh, Organization or Association. Association. Mm-hmm. 
like giving kids the opportunity to go to school, especially in a market where education is so expensive uh, on school you know, sports scholarships and schools actually recruiting people because of their abilities mm-hmm. uh, to play for your school and, you know, giving you some form of scholarship and the same. Did you happen to get a scholarship? And from? a full ride. The, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. I got a full scholarship and I wouldn't even, like, yes, NCAA is great, but it's also really the, the athletes and those students and future students that are working hard all throughout there high school career, all through really not even just going to school, but they're going to school, they're waking up early, they're training, then at lunchtime, some of them are touching whatever kind of ball they can. So it's great, but they're working so hard and able to even get that scholarship to to be seen. So these coaches are going, and they don't, these coaches don't just say, oh, I'm going to give this person a scholarship, great, no. They see this person has worked hard, this person has the skills, this person not only has the skills but is tenacious and can be a leader. And it's nice when a coach sees that in a person. Gotcha. And that's not just with like a you know athletic scholarship, but even I wanna say religious with scholarships within music, such as bands, they work really hard and train hours to be able to get there. Gotcha. And, and when I was talking about that, I was talking about that being Nigerian, having gone to high school in Nigeria. We have, we have nothing like that. Like, um, we have this, some local schools might come together and play something called inner house sports or have like, uh, intra school competitions or inter school competitions, but there is no avenue for you to get into a tertiary institution through sports. And mm. it makes me sick because we had, so the school I went to, um, uh, Air Force Comprehensive School in Nigeria, Western Nigeria in Ibadan, uh, we had a lot of good basketball players. I mean, people who with the right guidance might have been drafted. But because we don't have any foundation of sports or uh, grassroots sports development is has gone to, even for the most popular sport, which, which is soccer. I mean, if you, even if you can't do like band or whatever, um, but you no know, coming to the U.S. and seeing kids that have, even though you have to put in a lot of work mm-hmm. and effort, but knowing that at least that's an option and you can, if you work hard enough, you might have the opportunity to go to school through uh, a sports scholarship. It's just uh, to, to make me look at the people, some of my friends today working in banks when I knew they were supposed to be in the NBA <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, working in very weird places or have their own business and knowing that they, they, they're supposed to have represented Nigeria at the Olympics track and field. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, there, there's a guy now who's, I think, the fastest guy in the U.S. He runs for Texas A&M, Divine. Mm-hmm. He's a Nigerian and he was running in Nigeria, but still the same issue. If he hadn't left to come here and, you know, run for T&M, uh, with the NCAA, he probably wouldn't have developed to that aspect. And obviously, very soon, I, I know he might definitely be like in the next Olympics. So it's just. So uh, he went to Texas, he's at AM to run on yeah. a scholarship. I don't know if it was a scholarship. I, I would imagine it's a scholarship because he's the fastest guy right How now. How did he even get there? I mean, he applied. I mean, you can apply to. Oh, so, he, so you're saying he applied, he wasn't recruited to go there? No, he applied no. I, he probably applied and tried out for the team. Okay. So it's a longer, just imagine, it's like mm-hmm. a longer route yes. to, to get the same team. But for every one of that that clicks, like there are like a thousand people who they even get the opportunities. I mean, now it's even easier because, well, you have computers, you can apply to schools online. Mm-hmm. Just imagine people who were popular like in the 80s or whatever locally. In different countries, so why well, digress? You know, it's just interesting yeah. to to see, but yeah. And of course, uh, NCAA, NCAA has their own fair share of criticism. Uh, I know, but um, just knowing that you have the opportunity, I think, uh, can give a lot of countries, uh, especially countries where uh, most of young people don't have anything to do. Like, you can use that avenue to like engage them and maybe make something. And it's also, I want to say, it's also really how great your coaches. I don't call great, but the coach as a leader and not just a coach as a coach. Because, like I said, we had a great mix of nationalities on our team. Mm-hmm. And so our coach went and he traveled 
And so he traveled wow. to Europe. He, he traveled, traveled internationally? Yeah. Okay. They have the ability to travel internationally. Mm-hmm. They just have to want to. This is my opinion, obviously. Mm-hmm. Some don't have to. I mean, when you're a big, when you're a big school, you're going to get the talent. And you're going to get the talent here. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're not as, like, you're still D1, maybe you're a smaller school like UMES, you need to go and get that talent and that possibility for that athlete in Serbia that wants to come to the United States, get an education, and play. But it's not getting looked at by anyone. Gotcha. Yes, but, again, it was, it's great to have a coach that thinks, I want to be a leader. I want to develop. I want to reach out. You know, I also want to win. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to do what they have to do versus, and I'm going to say it name like Nebraska for volleyball. They're going to get so many people already. Mm. They're a top school. That's a top volleyball That's school? a top volleyball school. Okay. So I definitely think that is also the coach's responsibility to make sure they reach out. Um, recruiting coaches specifically, but they do a pretty I feel like they did a pretty great job. Gotcha. gotcha. From my like perspective. perspective. Gotcha. Okay, um, no problem. Um, so what other countries have you been to? Uh, I mean you talked about Australia and New Zealand, um, Australia, Germany. New Zealand. How's your experience Germany. in Australia, by the way? It was great. All I did was play volleyball on the beach. <laughs> gotcha. Sure. On the beach? Mm-hmm. Wow. Beach. What what beach? Bondi? Where did you go to? Sydney, Melbourne? Sydney. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So on the beach, indoor, beach again. There's volleyball, sleep, wake up, more volleyball, sleep, oh. wake up, more volleyball. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't like actual trip. There wasn't time else. for it. <laughs> it wasn't time for anything else. Gotcha. I have been to, visited, not lived. Mm-hmm. I literally only lived in Germany. Jeez, mm-hmm. um, I lived in Spain, Italy, Croatia. Oh, really? Um, where? Else. And Germany. That's about it. Well, those are all European not, countries. No, maybe I'm not well traveled. Let's see. I've been <laughs> to. <laughs> um, I mean, to Jamaica. I've been to Saint Lucia. The islands. Okay. The so, islands. Mm-hmm. I um, lots of places in the states. Have you ever been? To, have you been to Asia? I've not been to Asia. How about Africa? I've not been to Africa. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, you're, you're well-traveled. You've been to more than five countries. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, I, I would say yeah, you're yeah, a well-traveled individual. But let's talk a little bit about your book, Whiskey Chocolate. Oh! Yeah. I yes! Mean, I mean, when I was doing my research for the episode, I was like, oh, she's an author too? Like, I am! Like, wow, I, that's impressive. Like, and I have a second one coming out in the end of the summer. Oh, so excited. she is a professional author. Like, she, she's published multiple books. <laughs> it's not just one. Because I've been trying to write a book forever, and I've not been able to just get myself around to it. But, you just need to sit down and write. Oh, I, my goodness. One day, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down, get it done. I absolutely love it. This is what I want. Like this is what I want to do. This is something that I'm very passionate about. It's my side thing. It's not for anyone else. It's just for me. So mm-hmm. put it out there. If it does horrible, great. If it does good, great. I was thinking only my parents would purchase it, and now I have 500 copies sold of wow. uh, whiskey chocolate. Nice. Um, it is love, sex, and romance in the description of whiskey and chocolate. Wait, in the description of actual whiskey and chocolate? Yes. Wait, break that down. How? So, I can read you an example. Sure. I mean, and but, but what, can, what leg- You can figure out how for yourself. It's not for me to tell you how you want to break it down. Okay. But... It is love, sex, and romance. Literally, how it says: prescription whiskey and chocolate. So you do heartache, breakup, sex. Whiskey can be a tall, beautiful, dark man, and chocolate can be the smooth, sensual touch of a woman. However, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> okay, let's well, let's, uh, let's read a sample. Let's let's read uh, <clears throat> maybe half a page and see. 
All this. But what, but what led to you writing the book? Or did you did you just have an idea? Was it an experience? It was. I had to do a lot of heartache. Not a lot, but I think enough. A lot for me. <laughs> and love is absolutely beautiful. I just because I'm a heartache doesn't mean you can't love again. Sensuality is also beautiful. I feel like the shape of a woman, from her legs to the curve of her hips to the delicacy of her hands, um, from just the looking of a male, and everyone likes something different in men and females. The shape of a man's arms, the arc of his back. There's just so many things people. I feel like I can find in any man, in any woman, they're going to have that just one thing. And it's like, why can't I not write about the combination? I also love whiskey. <laughs> gotcha. Love everything about whiskey. And chocolate. And chocolate. Gotcha. And there's all kinds of shades of chocolate. There's white chocolate. There's dark chocolate. There's mm. salted chocolate. There's okay. chocolate with almonds in it. That's an interesting way to look at things. There, there is. You can put it in. They're all mine. Chocolate has all different shades. Just like people have all different shades. Whiskey is, depending on what kind of whiskey you like, whether you want a bourbon or a scotch, or if it's however it's roasted, if it's roasted in a cherry oak barrel, if it is, excuse me, how long it's aged for. Is it going to be smooth? It's going to have a little tart. It's going to have like this vanilla almond flavor to it. There's so many types of whiskey and there's so many types of chocolates. And I figured if you can find your perfect pair, mm. your perfect match, then it's beautiful. Wow, I'm sold. Are you sold? <laughs> I'm sold. Okay. <laughs> I think the great thing about it also is some distilleries have reached out and are really interested in carrying the book, thinking that it'll help promote some distilleries, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah, interesting. It'll promote some whiskey chocolate pairings or it'll promote it'll help promote um women coming in wanting to have whiskey chocolate tastings, a bachelorette party, and it's very, very exciting. Oh, that's actually a good idea. It, I mean, it is. So I have something special from Whiskey Chocolate 2 that isn't out yet. Let's go. Oh, wait. So your second book is still going to be about Whiskey Chocolate. It is. is it going to be called Whiskey Chocolate 2? Have it's you decided? It's going to be called Whiskey Chocolate 2. Okay. Just figure it is. Whiskey Chocolate, Whiskey Chocolate 2. <laughs> <laughs> so you can interpret this however you like. Okay. It is called The Water of Life. Well, water of life. Whiskey is the water of life. Okay. So it's another name for it. Okay. So, the gods say it tastes like heaven. It must be true. The scent already divine as I move closer, brushing my flesh against its hardness, allowing my lush lips to wrap around the tip, preparing my tongue to be flooded with the feeling of life. The purest life flowing richly through my mouth, into the depths of my body. One soft tentative lick at the top, and I was hooked, taking it all in until I was drunk with the water of life, with smoothness easing down my throat. So damn delicious. The best water I've ever tasted. Wow. Whiskey chocolate. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. Thank you. That's impressive. How long did you take you to write the book? It took me a month to do this poetry book. Just a month? Just a month. Um, the second one is going a little bit longer, but... Oh, wait, wait. So it's a poetry book. Like, it's a, a collection of different poems? A collection of different poems. Gotcha. I have one from Whiskey Chocolate, if you want to hear it. It's good. Out now on Amazon, Adora Luster. Of course. <laughs> um, it's called Insatiable. Okay. You are surprised. I don't understand why. He's a lover of all chocolates, a master chocolatier, a connoisseur of taste, taking a bite out of every piece, 
Never feeling guilty. Always wanting more. Never just one. Never just you. That sounds like cheating. And right? <laughs> so you get it. That yeah, but you know, hashtag black man don't cheat, so uh, I'm just okay. <laughs> hashtag because like black men are amazing. Black women wow. are amazing. Oh, I think black men are absolutely amazing. Yeah, but that that's an amazing gift to have. Like ha, do you write songs by any chance? I do not write songs. I think you should. I think you'll be able to write some killer R and B songs. Cause I get it, and the way you convey the message, I get it. And I don't know if that's, you know, stemming from me, you know, trying to talk to you right now. And I don't know if I'll definitely buy the book, and I'll buy, I'll buy, I'll buy it on Amazon. Oh, but that's thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, were you always writing? I I know you're like have experience like in the media and communication space. I do. So does that have something to do with this? Or this is like raw emotions that just came up one day and just like, I have to write. I can tell you exactly where my writing started. Okay, let's go. Um, my father, Albert Luster. Colonel retired Albert Luster, to be honest. No, he was such an influence in me writing today. Mm-hmm. When I was young, of course, I absolutely hated it. But now I look back and I think, wow, I'd probably not be here today if it wasn't for him. Um, well, first, let's go even way back. My mom, amazing parents, again, everyone. I had a hard time when I was in elementary school learning to... In Germany. In Germany, to read, write, speak, comprehend. And so I did hooked on phonics. My mom got me on hooked on phonics. We did it every single night, every single day. And the next thing I know, I was understanding, I was writing, we just continued doing it. Hooked on phonics worked for me. That's there. Hashtag. And it did work for me. What, uh, wait, what's hooked, hooked on, on phonics? phonics? It's basically if you're having trouble reading, writing, reading clearly, it's a learning tool to help you read, write. Kind of like extra homework when you can get home. Gotcha. Uh, and so I became very confident in being able to speak, to write. I wasn't embarrassed in elementary school anymore. Then throughout middle school and all of high school, during summers, my dad would have me read a book and do a synopsis on the book. Wow. Elementary school. Um through no through middle school middle and school. high school. High school, okay. And so he made sure not one summer went by that I wasn't doing something. That I wasn't reading. That I wasn't writing, but it wasn't that if I didn't understand, ask him. And I'll make sure to understand. That yeah, so sounds like it. an army dad, yeah. Mm-hmm. Make sure I was <laughs> comprehending, not just like an army dad, but an amazing like black father. Gotcha. And I loved it. I was like, okay, he did it at the time, but then this is when I started to love it. I read my first romance novel, the coldest, I say it's a romance novel. Um, it's called The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier. Okay. And Wait, Sister Soldier? Sister Soldier. I think I've heard that name before. Is she married to a writer also? Or that's that's something that's someone different. There's a couple that writes together. There's a couple that writes together. I don't know if it's you can look it up real quick. Yeah, I mean keep, keep on with your story, I'll I'll look it up. Oh, I was like <laughs> I, I know there's there's like a black couple that writes. Because I think it's just her. No, it's just her. But she's my favorite. And there's a character called Midnight in there that just stole my heart. And then she has this whole Midnight series based off it. And I just couldn't get enough. It, it was heartaching story, but I just saw the love, romance, and beauty in the darkness of everything it exuded. Then I had to write my synopsis on it so my dad yeah. can read it. And your dad actually gave you that book? To... No. Okay, he just showed you pick any book. He said pick any book. Okay. And I would go to the library and pick any book. And that is the moment that he said, okay, we're done. He's like, thank you for this. You did a great synopsis. We're not doing any more. <laughs> <laughs> what was in that synopsis? <laughs> All romance. 
romance. Okay. <laughs> Come on, romance. I can see why. He's okay. <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. This is fantastic. We're not going to do anymore. But I continued then just reading and being addicted to all romance novels. And that was the start. And it was a beautiful start. And I have always continued and looked at romance in different levels and different ways, through different lenses. Everyone's going to look at it differently. Mm. Um, and it's so important to me now, especially with social media and Instagram and how people feel about gender, the man, the woman. There's so much hate in the world right now. Preach. There is. And so this kind of brings me back to reality of I know who I am. I know what I love. I know what I want. Um, I see heartache. People get hurt. And I can write about it. And then one day I was sipping some whiskey and I was eating some chocolate. And mm. I thought, this is absolutely perfect. Eureka moment. Mm-hmm. I was like, why don't I just start writing about the love, the hate, the romance, this sex, everything that I have experienced or heard my friends experience or see mm. and put it on paper. How much of the experience was yours and how much of it was borrowed from other people? I think a lot of it is mine and some is borrowing it from what I see or what I hear from friends or family. So I just make up in my head because I have pretty good imagination. And then thanks to some distillers in the area, like Twin Valley's Distillery, thank you very much. They allow me to go in and tour their distilleries and they talk in all whiskey terms so I can pick things out so yeah. I can use in my writing. Gotcha. I'm not a, I like drinking whiskey, but I'm not a whiskey connoisseur. Mm. But now I feel like through this writing, I'm working towards becoming a whiskey connoisseur because these distilleries that I go to are teaching me. Gotcha. And they allow me to go there, to walk around, to hear key terms, and those key terms I can translate to, oh, this this will work in my poetry, in my book. So I want to make sure when I'm writing, I'm not, I'm not writing I'm not writing anything about vodka. Like, <laughs> I'm not writing anything about, it's typically it's authentic, whiskey, and it's authentic, gotcha. and it is knowledgeable to what it actually is to making whiskey and drinking it. You know what's funny? Whenever I think about distilleries, I think about like the sommelier culture and like wine. Like I never really thought like whiskey had all this flavor and everything oh, you're describing. Yes. I was like, that sounds like wine, mm-hmm. like sommelier, like absolutely. You know, that's interesting. I think it is very interesting, especially how, like you said before, how long it's aged, how you taste it what kind of glass you're drinking it out of will change the taste of it. Just like wine, you don't want to, if you hold the roundness of the glass at the bottom, you're going to change the heatness, which changes the flavor, which might change the color. Well, same thing, even with whiskey, depending on the glass you're drinking it out of, mm-hmm. can taste the flavor. Is your nose in it? You know, all these like little intricate things. So... Wow. Yeah. But I think you should like, anyway, you're writing a second book, but I think uh, yeah. I, I think you should like try your hand like on a song, like write a song, um, get some publishing. I think you yes. have the, the right experiences, the right imagination and the right communication ability like, to write a song. I don't think about it. I don't, even, I don't even know how to even start that, right? And then do what with it? Where, where would I send it? I mean, someone sing it. I mean, I can't sing it. <laughs> so you write a song, someone sing it, and hey, it might be. I mean, all the best love songs out there, all the best R&B songs were written by other people. Um, from what Tony Braxton to Celine Dion to they're all written by other people. So hey, mm-hmm. maybe there's something there. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about. Um, professional life. Um, I know you work, you worked a bit in Stratcom, worked for the U.S. Army. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to touch on your experience working for Playboy Communications. Like, what was that like? So, <clears throat> Playboy Enterprises. 
Oh, Playboy Enterprises. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, so wait, Playboy Enterprises has a subsidiary called Playboy Communications, or it's just Playboy Enterprises? Playboy Golf, and they, which does not exist anymore. It was a third-party entity. Okay. And what happened was I needed to do my graduate practicum. Okay. Um, went to Georgetown University for my master's in public relations, corporate communication. <laughs> you have to have your practicum to pass. To pass to graduate, <laughs> but you need to pass your practicum in order to graduate. And I reached out to Playboy Golf, mm. and I was like, "Do you have basically you have a problem? Here's my letter from Georgetown. I can help give you positive energy towards it for free." <laughs> Who doesn't love free work? They said that's where it took off. So. Excuse me. I developed a strategic communications plan to stop the decrease in golf tournaments because there was a substantial decrease and they didn't know why. So I performed qualitative and quantitative data with the attendees and future attendees to figure out why, what interests them, what isn't interesting them, why are they coming, why did they not come back. Why, back. why less and less people are playing mm -hmm. golf? I think that's no, a millennial fever. Not why less and less people are playing golf, but playboy golf. Oh, yeah. Specifically. So not just golf in general, but golf specifically at that golf tournament. Gotcha. Um, and it was great. They loved it. They said, yes, can you help us implement? And so I did some vendor relations stuff with vendors, strategic communications, for specifically the San Diego and LA golf tournament. So I had moved out to San Diego, and it was perfect at the time. Gotcha. I think but that's it. I mean... If it comes back, it doesn't exist anymore. If it mm. comes back, it's, I think it is a great idea that people love. It's a lot, I mean, Playboy is a lifestyle brand, so it is a lifestyle golf tournament where the Playboy experience comes to the field and the golfers, people, vendors can kind of just live that Playboy lifestyle for a day. And gotcha. It's nice. Fun golf tournament. There is a there's like a DJ at every other hole. There's a bar at every other hole. There's a vendor at every other hole. There's something at each hole. So it is fun. Listen, don't get, don't be too serious. It's gotcha. here to have a good time and fun. And so when that ended, then I have moved on. Gotcha. I mean, Playboy at a point had their hands in so many industries. I mean, they had like hotels at one point. Mm -hmm. Had like what? Um, Hotels, casinos. Casinos, uh, obviously, they have, they have, they have media group. Uh, they have Playboy TV, Playboy Radio, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And it was just interesting to see, I mean, R.I.P. Hugh Hefner. Um, Playboy actually, so there was one Playboy I kind of like grew up with. It was the 1993 issue. Uh, oh, let's see who's on that. Who's on that issue? August '93. Um, I think it was Pamela Anderson mm -hmm. and Dan Aykroyd. Um, so the whole Ghost, Ghostbusters thing yes. of the late '80s. So I think it was like his next big movie after Ghostbusters and Pamela Anderson, obviously. So both of them were on the cover. Mm -hmm. So that was when I actually discovered that Playboy is like not the publication I thought it was. I mean, obviously, I didn't read it in 1993 because I was, like, what, five years old. But later, um, I, it was always there, like, in the house and whatever. But, like, ten years later, I, like, picked it up and, like, went through it. And I was like, oh. And that's when I went into the history of, like, Playboy and actually got to see that. Or oh, Playboy magazine, even though they are known for, um, like, ladies and all that stuff, like, they actually have a bunch of stuff in Playboy magazine and they were actually like all these Pulitzer winning writers oh, who wrote for Playboy magazine and I didn't even know they had like a Martin Luther King interview that they did oh, they had a in the 60s. King interview when people were burning and not wanting to do like Fahrenheit 451 but exactly. they were making sure that they highlighted Fahrenheit 451 and Playboy magazine. They have a jazz music festival that still goes on today when there were a lot of African-American musicians that couldn't get play anywhere. Not only would he have to bring them into the mansion to play, but he would highlight them in Playboy magazine. The instrumental, huge. Uh, also, they were not afraid to dive into 
race issues. Yeah, even they LGBT have, very early on. Oh yeah. Like it huge with that LGBTQ plus. Oh yeah. my. Well, it was like back yeah. then, you know. <laughs> and it was, I loved, I think my first one was when they started, I think I was in high school, and they started their golden ticket campaign. What's that? Where you could, if you found a golden ticket in Playboy magazine, then you could, you won a prize, and you go to the Playboy Mansion and everything, but gotcha. all the holidays. And their winter edition is always the, I feel, the most prized. So I always I would regularly get a winter edition Playboy and read through it. Um, not only because I think women are absolutely beautiful, but it is just the readings in size. They are readings that you really won't get anyone else and people are afraid to publish. True, true. They've always been at the forefront of, like, you know, stirring up conversations in areas where mainstream media mm-hmm. hasn't really caught on yet. Yeah. And and now I think now I read somewhere that they were to discontinue the whole nudity. I don't know how true that the is. What? The like the nudity aspect and just like stick to journalism. I don't know if or we had to discontinue the whole magazine as a whole. Maybe I have to recheck or check. I that. don't know about that, but if it happens, I do think the magazine is great on its own. Yeah, they. I mean, they definitely made their mark. Definitely made their mark, and you and you have to think maybe made his mark starting. You have her starting in the garage of his home made his mark. I mean, beautiful. A lot of people right now are starting in their garage and they're going to stay in their garage and not go anywhere else. Gotcha. You know, so, and then to branch out to, like you said, casinos, media, TV, radio, whereas now it's continuously building and building. Yeah. Um, their description of beauty is going to be different than other people's description of beauty. But that's everywhere. Yeah. People, there's, it's interesting because I feel people confuse preference with some type of phobia. What do you mean? So, like myself, I love a tall man. That doesn't mean I have a phobia against short men. Oh. That's just what I... (laughs) You just like hey, in. Not in today's world, man. If you tweet something, it exactly. means you're, you're <laughs> automatically against something else. Exactly. You're automatically against it. Not in today's world, Unfortunately, not in today's world. I mean, uh, I, don't even get me started <laughs> <laughs> on that topic. But yeah, I mean, it's. it's I mean, we can get started. We have like twenty more minutes. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just it's just unfortunate. Um, Twitter, especially, I don't know. Like, I'm on Twitter. I mean, Twitter is the only social media app I have on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like every other social media app, like I access them through my laptop because I know that I'm not on my laptop all the time, just to like not be in that, you know, whole ecosystem. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it can be toxic. But even Twitter, uh, sometimes like you want to tweet something, like oh, man, people are gonna take this. <laughs> But you have to understand that people are going to take it, you don't have to understand, but I believe people are going to take it the way that they are. Everyone has their own choice awareness model, mm-hmm. and everyone has their own internal processing system. I know, like, confirmation bias all in my head right now. Mm-hmm. If just because you say something, I could feel a different way about it. So that's to be okay. People do not want to hear other people's opinion. Nope. They want to just stick in their own. Yep. And that is not good, not healthy. That's the way the world is now. If you can tweet something, I'd be like, okay, respect. I need to respect that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to like it, but you should respect the person's opinion. And if yours is different, that's okay. Exactly. And that, that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast, to be honest, because even though uh, it has a like uh, undertone of like culture, it's just like different backgrounds. Like, yeah, we all have different backgrounds. I'm not a professional media agency or whatever. Well, let's just have these conversations and see and try and draw those similarities, because sometimes people are saying different things, but they're actually trying to mean the same thing mm-hmm. sometimes. But it's all lost in interpretation, lost in... Yes. Anyway, that's, that's by the way, that's conversation for another day. Let's talk about yoga. Oh, oh sorry, you want to say something? Yeah. 
What about yoga? Thank you. I wanted to, you want to say something? No, I was going to say, I was like, yes. But I feel like now in today's society, there's a really big difference between, so I said preferences and understanding and interpretations. But I look and see how, and this is, this is another conversation for another podcast for another day. Part two. Part two. But I can, when you publish uh, whiskey, publish whiskey chocolate two, we'll have, we'll have a second edition of yes, podcast. Which will be at the end of summer. So. Okay. Um, when you come back from Amsterdam. No, we should do it sooner. Sooner? Okay. I come back actually in November. This should be done by beginning of August. Okay, okay. I know, I say a different day, but if you, sometimes there is a very, I'm going to say this in the most politically correct way, sometimes there is a big difference between two people can do the same thing. And because of their nationality or background, they're treated absolutely differently. And that is not preference or respect or understanding. That's just absolutely wrong. And sometimes we're in a society like that. Sometimes we are in a society that that plays out a lot and it absolutely doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, not just nationality, gender, Mm -hmm. um, sexual orientation, religion. Religion, a lot. Um, Yeah, lots of things. Lots of things. Topic for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yoga. Yeah. What is chair yoga? Because when I was looking into your background, I see you're involved with uh, an organization called ICYA. Um, ICIA. ICIA. Oh, ICIA. I, oh, okay. I'm not anymore. Okay. I was, was at ACI Specialty Benefits. Um, great employee assistance program What's by um, uh, Ann Clark. So Dr. Ann Clark started it. Okay. So that's how it's just ACI specialty benefits. ACI, um, I say it stands for her because that's how she started it. <laughs> just like you have no, she started from like the inside of a room and she was absolutely everything. It was just her about 37 years ago and she was HR, she was legal, she was corporate communication, she was on that phone building up her business and it became a huge business. Um, 36 years later, she wants to start a, sorry, yeah, ACI is an employee assistance program. Okay. Um, but she started, wanted to start the International Cheer Yoga Association because not everyone can get down on the floor anymore. As you age, people can't, their knees are bad or they have bad ankles and they can't lay on the, they can't lay on the floor. They can't get into downward dog just on their own. And so they could do it in a chair. Also, sometimes people at work can't really get away from their desk when they do a really quick yoga session in their chair and get all the stretching and find a line that they need. So I helped her start the Chair Yoga Association from scratch. And literally, that's what it means, yoga while sitting on a chair. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yoga while sitting on a chair. I am Chair Yoga certified. I was one of her first instructors. That's absolutely amazing. I mean, that's about it. There's not much to it. Gotcha. What's the purpose? Did you, I don't know, like, um, I know you were an instructor and you helped her, like, get this off the ground. Mm -hmm. But did you do, like, a deep dive? Because I was trying to do some research into yoga. Like, what is the essence of yoga? And I I keep seeing, like, breathing. It's all about, like, breathing and, like, helping. I don't know if I'm correct, but, like, breathing and help with your composure and things with Zen, things like that. So I was trying to see the correlation, like, can that be achieved sitting as well as standing? Or it's more like an exercise thing? I think it's an exercise, and Mm -hmm. it can be achieved sitting and standing. The same way you achieve it on the floor, you can achieve it in the chair. I feel like it's a more, this is my opinion, but it's more centered around mindfulness. And not only just mindfulness, but... I guess it also opens your brain to the other cognitive functions that you weren't using before, even able to see. Mm. And so it helps you see in different ways and different atmospheres. So it just helps focus on the mindfulness. And gotcha. so you can do that on the floor or in the chair. 
That that that's a perfect world in mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's the word I was looking for actually. That's why we're here. No. <laughs> <laughs> interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. So, what's what's in the future for you? Um, what do you hope to do? I mean, you're publishing your second book. Um, I am publishing my second book. I am uh, mentoring and doing a leadership series soon. I'm starting September 9th at my alma mater, the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Mm. I absolutely love just helping the undergraduates and prepare if they want to go to graduate school, teaching them about um, leading, the difference between a manager and a leader, uh, and whatever else they want to know and hear. I absolutely love it. I am applying to doc programs now it is that time. really um, how many degrees do you have um, Adora? I have once I get accepted into this doctoral program which is a part of this process yeah. which I'm very excited I, it is that time I'm more than a year away through my second master's program and it was like boom okay <laughs> my director was like Adora reminder you need to apply and I was like okay oh. right I'm ready I mean, actually here at AU? I know. So I am applying at, well, yes and no. I'm applying AU, mm-hmm. Building Graduate University in George Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing this because I have been inquired also about teaching at a couple of HBCUs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need to start my doctoral program for the level of teaching that I want to do. So I would start in the fall of 2020. I would start my doctoral in the summer of 2020. I graduate May 2020, so I'm not taking a break. I'm just gotcha. like going straight through. My focus right now for my, my career focus, work, work, work focus, study focus that will lead into my doctoral focus is the intersection of organization development um, university athletics and the university system as a whole, specifically inside HBCUs. Oh, okay. So you have experience with that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have tons of people that you can talk to about that. Yeah. And you've already demonstrated that you have the ability to write. So. So I'm very. Ex- it's all there. I'm excited. Just need it's to. It's all there. So that is where my focus and career is going. And you're traveling to Amsterdam, obviously, in two months. For the international residency in two months. Gotcha. Oh, that'll be fun. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. It's going to be a lot of work, but I'm ready for it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that is my future, at least for the next, like, three years. Oh, okay. Okay, sounds sounds pretty good. And um, one thing we like to do is to follow up with our guests. Uh, any way we can help you along your process, um, even if it's as simple as a social media post, help you post a link to your survey or whatever. Uh, um, post? Oh, my goodness. Well, my book's about to come out if you... Well, we definitely will be posting that one. I mean, we, yes. have, the, we have the link in the description of this episode, obviously, to your Amazon. Oh, uh, Beautiful purchase, and yeah, you guys should go out there. I mean, you just had her read uh, two different poems, so you know what to expect in uh, Whiskey Chocolate 2, mm-hmm. and go out there and purchase Whiskey Chocolate 1. So, uh, we have this thing we try to do at the end of every podcast episode called Endgame, and oh. it's just a game at the end of the podcast. Oh, I'm so, so excited! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, the essence of this podcast, obviously, is to talk to uh, people from different backgrounds, get to learn, uh, but we do that in a casual conversation. So people pick up information here and there during the episode, but we like to be a little bit deliberate about, you know, delivering um, information uh, to our listeners. So I just have a couple of questions I'm going to ask you, and uh, yeah, you just answer. Okay. Okay, so question one. Do you know what country yoga originated in? Yoga? Mm-hmm. India. Was that, was that an unexpected question? I don't know. <laughs> it was. I don't. Can I guess? Can I look it up? Yeah, you, Can I, I thought you it? just said the answer just now. I said India. Yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Were you doubting yourself? <laughs> It yoga is. for 100, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is India. What um, is India? Um, yoga. No, I mean, like, do I answer like Jeopardy? What is India? Do you oh, think no. it's like what it is? I, I didn't grow up watching Jeopardy. I just heard about it. Guess that's a <laughs> knee slapper joke for myself. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Kindle or hard copy for books? Hard copy. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? I just, and this could go into this is y'all, I just love touching a book and feeling the page turn and the different texture of the pages and having it kind of just in your hand. Please write a song. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay, so last question. Uh, do you happen to know how many copies you have to sell to become a bestseller? And this is a tricky question because mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of answers. No clue. I just... Help yeah. me, everyone, help me become a bestseller. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've, there are a whole bunch of answers to this. Um, so I'm for Amazon, <laughs> Amazon, uh, and none of this is like set in stone, right? This is just a bunch of research I called up online. Uh, for Amazon, you have to sell like, a, okay. 10,000? Less. 1,500? Close. 1,000? Yeah. So it depends, right? Uh, but it all depends on the time period. So if you sell a thousand copies within the first few days, I guess, or maybe first week, um, you are most likely to get into the Amazon top 100, depending on how many books are on the market that particular time and what category and all that stuff. But a thousand books for Amazon. Wall Street Journal is about. 3,000 first week to become bestseller. New York Times bestseller, which is like the mm-hmm. pinnacle of bestsellers, is about 9,000 first week. But it depends on the time of year. I, I guess in January, it's about 7,000. There's this company called Nielsen that does the TV ratings. Yep. They also have something called BookScan, so they try to measure uh, both hard copies sold and e-copies sold. So I guess if you sell 10,000 uh, on any platform, that will be considered like a bestseller. Okay. So, uh, and your book is also self-published, right? It is. That was interesting. Why did you decide to make it self-published? Okay. Or you just wanted to put it out I there? I to put it out there. Yeah, it sounds like my podcast. I just, Let's record and put mm-hmm. it out there. <laughs> How many listeners do you have? Um, it's interesting. So, within the first uh, few days of publishing that episode, I get an average of about 200 listeners for now. That's fantastic. I mean, that's still small. I mean, the average... I mean, Joe Rogan is doing like Joe Rogan is doing like a million listeners per episode, but he's way up there. But uh, yeah, I just started. I'm not really doing too much marketing. Um, I'm just having these conversations, putting it out there. But the interesting thing to know is, with each episode I do, I tend to get a following from that particular country. So when I interviewed. Uh, Natasha from Pakistan, a whole bunch of people from Lahore listened in. And when I interviewed um, um, my friend Gala from Saudi Arabia, a whole bunch of people listened in, people from Africa listened. So it just depends. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to like harvesting these listeners from all these countries, mm-hmm. and a bunch of them stay for other episodes. So it's kind of like growing. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I just want to like get the content right and you know start marketing hard. Um, obviously come and meet you for some help <laughs> to know how you marketed your book. Maybe you have some tips for me. I did not market my book at all. Well, you just put it out there? I just put it out there. And you've sold 500 copies? I just put it out there. I just post some things on social, on Instagram. Wow. And that's it. So you know what that this means, time right? I'm going to actually market for Whiskey Chocolate 2 and see what happens. Because I didn't know what only what... Um, Kindle does on Amazon Kindle does on its own, but I did absolutely nothing. You know so, what that means, right? No, don't that means don't take that advice, everyone. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can take that advice if you write as good as Adora. <laughs> <laughs> product is extremely good. That's why it's pushing itself. Basically, that's what that means. Thank you. Thank you. I really, it really touches my heart. I need to get this one out. I have thought about. Doing a full romance novel, which I have yes. started. Yes. Oh, but romance novel is definitely different than poetry. I'm um, trying to get it gone. It would be a collection of so- short stories in one titled The Men of Whiskey. The Men of Whiskey? The Men of Whiskey. Wait, The Men of Whiskey. So, whiskey, huh? I just want to keep it in the whiskey family. Gotcha. So it would be so there's whiskey. So my poetry book would be it's whiskey chocolate. What whiskey chocolate? What's up right now? 
whiskey chocolate too that should be open at the end of the summer. Mm. And then I am working on something that is the men of whiskey. You know, there's this thing called, uh, I'll, I'll do some research after this podcast and I'll send you a couple of things. There's this thing you can do, which is kind of like a copyright or something. Mm-hmm. It's like a contract-like thing that helps the writer in case their work wants to be adapted into like plays or movies mm-hmm. sometime, sometime in the future. So it's kind of like protection. Um, I've, I've heard it somewhere, but I'll do some research and I'll send it across to you. You might Thank want you. to do that for your second book, just in case. Okay. Because we might have like a moving work sometime in the future. I mean, I see it. Can't you see a Men of Whiskey movie or play? I can see it. We'll be drinking in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, you want to drop like your social media handles, plug your book one more time, or, like, um, give a shout out. Whiskey Chocolate out right now on Amazon. If you love whiskey chocolate, love sex and romance, it'll be a great poetry read. Whiskey Chocolate Tuesday out by the end of the summer. Also, self-published will be on Amazon. Um, uh, my Instagram handle is Adora Luster. Adora Luster everywhere. Adora Luster, that's it everywhere. I did not used to have a Twitter. I don't think I have a Twitter now, but I definitely have an Instagram. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so please go, and if you get the book, please write a review on Amazon. I will be purchasing the book and be putting a review on Amazon myself. Hopefully Thank before you. The weekend. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Uh, follow us. It's been the Culture Class Podcast. Follow us on social media. It's Culture Class Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Culture Class Pod on Twitter. Uh, send us an email. Tell us what you think. Uh, Culture Class Podcast at gmail.com. And have a great day. Bye.